Hi, I'm Gary and this is episode 65 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be continuing our series of episodes on the current EVs on the market and we'll be looking at the MG ZS EV. Before we start, I wanted to correct a small error from last week's episode on hybrids. At one point in the discussion, I mentioned the i3 range extender. I said in the podcast that this is a small two-stroke engine that charges the traction battery. Thanks to several people who pointed this out on Twitter, but I actually should have said it's a small two-cylinder engine that recharges the traction battery, not two-stroke. It's a subtle but very important difference, and my apologies for that error. Our main topic of discussion today is the MG ZS EV. We've done a series of episodes on the different EVs on the market already. See the show notes for links to episodes on the i3, the Nissan Leaf, the I-Pace, the Kia Soul, Model S, Model 3, the Renault Zoe. And a couple of weeks ago, we did an episode on the Kia e-Niro with owner and YouTuber Andrew Till. And that was pretty much the full EV market when we started doing this podcast. And since then, the market has expanded tremendously. And we hope to expand this series during the season. If you own one of the newer models on the market, the Honda e, the Polestar, the Corsa e, the Peugeot e208, a Mercedes EQC or a Mini, for example, please drop me a line at evmusings at gmail.com if you want to come on the podcast and chat about it with me. The car we're going to be looking at today is MG's first full electric car, the ZS EV. This car came pretty much out of nowhere about 18 months ago. It was nominally branded as an MG, but is in fact designed and assembled in China. MG is owned by the SAIC Group. I'm not entirely sure how we pronounce that. S-A-I-C, SAIC, SAIC, whatever. The MG ZS is a range of fossil fuel and electric cars that look basically virtually identical on the outside. When it first came out, it was lauded for several reasons. uh, The price and the range. Unlike a lot of new EVs that were being touted as potential future products at that time, I'm looking at you, Mini, this car was incredibly well-priced for the size of battery it had. It came out around 26000 27000 after the plug-in car grant. To make things even more interesting, MG as a company were also offering a cash discount of a further 3500 to the first 1,000 people who placed an order. This made the car incredibly good value. According to the EV database, the MG ZS EV has a battery size of 42.5 kWh usable and can recharge at a maximum rate of 76 kW. The official range is 135 miles. Of course, range is one of those things that varies according to who's driving and what the weather's like. So to get an idea of the real-world range, I got in touch with Neil Roberts, friend of the podcast, the man behind the EV Nexus, and, since late last year, owner of an MG ZX EV. How many miles has he done in his MG? Well, two days after we picked up the MG, we drove it up to up to uh, Slowit near Huddersfield, uh, and that was about 235 miles. Uh, about two weeks after that, we drove it down to Dorset, which was, I believe, 250 miles. So that that is probably the longest journey we we've done. Uh, that journey required only only a single stop. So our first stop was at 142 miles. Uh, we we stopped at a restaurant before our mains had even come out. We were back up to eighty percent, and by the time we finished, we were up to ninety five percent, which was more than adequate to get us the rest of the journey. Of course, as with all cars, we want to know what the actual range is going to be. According to the EV database, the official range is about one hundred and thirty five miles. So, what sort of 
ranges are you getting? Okay, well, the first stop on our way to Dorset, which was uh, end of November, so it, it was fairly inclement weather. We got 142. Uh, unfortunately, during the summer, we've been pretty much on lockdown, so it's, it's been difficult to get some actual actual ranges out of it. But based on the efficiency ratings I've been getting, I definitely believe that you could get 180 at a push. If, if you oh. were if you were driving very very carefully, I think you could get 180 based purely on the efficiency figures. So it's 44.5 kilowatt hours usable. That's 173. So we've frequently seen more than 3.9 mm-hmm. uh, during the summer. So I think the highest I've seen is somewhere in the region of 4.2 miles per kilowatt hour. So that would be. 186. So those, if if you drive sensibly, like driving Miss Daisy, mm-hmm. then I think you can, you can in in decent weather get 180. Uh, if now, you drive, if you're just driving around town, I reckon you'll probably be able to get more than that. Following on from our discussion with Dr. Ewan McTurk about batteries, he mentioned in passing that he thought the CCS charging standard was the wrong one because it's not clearly defined and the various implementations could cause issues. I asked Neil if he'd had any problems. On the whole, no. The only issues I've had have been specifically uh, ecotricity on motorway services. Um, and I, I would say that's probably a fairly common complaint with with lots of people, uh, with, with any CCS car. Um, what, I, what I would say about the difference between CCS and Chadamo, having used both quite a lot now, Chadamo feels more solidly put together. It, it, it has a reassuring clunk when you attach it. it it's, it's, it's kind of like the, the Betamax versus VHS paradigm. Yes. Uh, VHS was more popular, possibly because it was, because it was cheaper to manufacture. Uh, but Betamax was mechanically far superior. And, and I would say that that's probably true with, with Chadamo versus CCS. We never really had any issues at all with Chadamo with the Leaf. Uh, and as I say, it was solidly put together. You could almost always rely on it. 99% mm-hmm. of the time you could rely on it. With CCS, it doesn't have that reassuring click when you when you attach it. It always feels and, and it, this is really just a, a personal opinion. It, it always feels slightly half thought out. It, it's not quite a fully thought out product, if, if you know what I mean. It just, mm. it just doesn't feel quite quite as as well as well designed. But it's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, well, I say everywhere, <laughs> not necessarily motorway services, but it, it, it's it's in a lot of places, uh, and almost all chargers have have CCS. So it is clearly the way it's going. Looping back to discussing the price of the MG, what did Neil actually pay? Mine was uh, number twenty-one in the UK, so it was it was right at the beginning when when they were really pushing the incentives for it. So the price we paid was twenty-three thousand five hundred. MG were given an additional discount over and above the plug-in car grant at that point, weren't they? That's right. Yes. So. They were also providing three and a half thousand. So uh, it was somewhere in the region of twenty six thousand after the plug-in car grant, but before the MG incentive. 
So the MG incentive brought it down to 23,500. But then saying that, the price these days doesn't seem to be changed from that very much. So uh, it looks like they're they're either they've either reduced the the actual recommended retail price on on the car, or they're continuing the contribution. Ah, right. Okay, because I believe the. Uh, three and a half thousand was to it was initially to the first one thousand purchases, wasn't it? That's right. Yes. Then uh, when when it hit one thousand, they extended it to two thousand, <laughs> uh, and I think they just carried on with that. <laughs> and it's it, it's a price point which makes it a very competitive car, and because of that, they've managed to sell over three and a half thousand, I think, in the last year. And did I not read recently that the last shipload of MGs that came from China, something like 75% of them were the EV version? Yes. Yeah. Now, that, that is very exciting. Neil is a former Leaf owner, having bought a 24 kilowatt hour Leaf several years ago, which he still owns. I asked him how it compares with the MG and vice versa. Yeah. Um, I, I've always been a big fan of the Leaf. Our, our Leaf is a, is a 2015, 24 kilowatt hour. Um, and, and it was always a lovely, lovely car to do road trips. One of the key differences between the, the Leaf and the MG, the, the MG and the Leaf both feel equally well as well made. Uh, they both feel very solid. Uh, seats are very comfortable. The fit and finish is, is very, very good. That's one thing I was very surprised about with the MG, actually. It is, it is much better made than you would expect it to be for the price. Uh, it does have some software quirks, which uh, MG are actually doing a very good job of, of slowly correcting over time. Uh, there's this in the MG community, there's this thing known as bong gate, where almost anything you do in the MG, it makes a bong noise. And it, <laughs> it, it's, it's very unpleasant after a while. But the, the latest software update does fix that. So, so, so that's good. Uh, charging speed, I would say, on the MG is is generally better than the Leaf. The Leaf would consistently get somewhere in the region of 36 to 40 kilowatts. Uh, I have seen uh, just over 50 with the MG. It does seem to make a difference how how close to zero percent you get. If you get down to about five percent, you will get absolutely uh, the, the fastest speeds. If you're anywhere beneath 20%, you'll quite comfortably get 50 kilowatts on, on any post. But if you're anything over 20%, it will start off lower than that, and it, it won't speed up beyond that. So, so, so that's, that's something that you just need to be, be conscious of. As a, as a comfortable long-distance driver, I love MG Pilot. Uh, MG Pilot is is the, the, the driver assist system to um, like Tesla Autopilot or ProPilot in, in the Leaf. It's, it's very, very similar to ProPilot. Works very well. All in all, I think it's a great package. We now have a, a, a much bigger market in terms of the number of vehicles that are available. It, it wasn't quite as big a year ago when you went for the MG, but there were certainly quite a few out there that you could have chosen. So was price one of the things that drew you specifically to the MG or was there something else? Because I know you really like the Leaf, so there was always the possibility of going for another Leaf. So why the MG? The thinking process behind behind this, so, uh, is, as, as with everything, it's, it can be quite a long story if you, mm-hmm. if you go down the rabbit hole. 
but one of the reasons we rejected the idea of getting another leaf fairly early on is because we do quite long road trips on occasion and mm-hmm. we weren't comfortable with the idea of not having battery cooling. Uh, if we were doing a drive up to the highlands of Scotland, which we, we've done before from Sussex, um, and we probably would again, we would the chances of, chances of us um, hitting rapid gate would be would be moderately high. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really want to take that risk. Although the Leaf itself as a package is a really, really lovely car. It's very, very comfortable, very well made, and the equipment levels are good. Uh, the only other real contender against the MG was a second-hand Ionic. Uh, because yeah. the Ionic is very efficient, uh, it's, it, the Gen 1 has got very good charging speeds. Uh, it's a smaller battery, but it charges quicker than the MG, and it's, it is capable, if driven sensibly, of doing 125 miles. So that does put it in very much in direct com- competition with the MG. But the MG does have uh, some big advantages over the Ionic. Uh, one of them being the, the MG Pilot is generally quite a bit better than, than what is on the Gem 1 Ionic. Uh, it also has the panoramic sunroof, which is wonderful. And it also has a, a rather cavernous boot. Um, and we, we've got sitting at our conservatory at the moment uh, an absolutely enormous gazebo, uh, which was which is the club gazebo. And I'm not absolutely certain it would fit in the Ionic, but it fits in the MG. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's, lots, there's lots of reasons. And as I say, it's a rabbit hole. But um, there were lots of things about the package of the MG that I liked. I, I, I have to laugh because whenever you mention the the gazebo, I always have the image from fully charged with you sat out there in the rain by yourself <laughs> under the gazebo. <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah, that was probably one of the most popular photos of fully charged life. Uh, <laughs> just me sat out in the rain on my own. But sometimes you've got to take one for the team. And well, that's you, right. But the, to... <laughs> the, the fact that that's one of the most popular pictures says a lot about uh, human nature, doesn't it, really? <laughs> I asked Neil to tell me what is it about the car that he really likes. I really like MG Pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, go, going on on long motorway journeys, it just makes it a doddle. And I'm sure that people with uh, Gen Two Leafs would say the same. Uh, people with 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 Teslas would would say the same, but to a higher level, obviously. Um, the MG Pilot, I think, for what it is, is is a very 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 good tool. It, it does massively simplify the, the whole process of of driving long distances on motorways. It, it removes that element of fatigue. So is that specifically um, adaptive cruise control with lane keep assist? So it keeps a set speed from the vehicle in front and it stays within the, the lane. Is it that or is it sort of more than that? It, that pretty much is it. Yeah. Um, if you were to... Yeah, yeah, that, that that is that is pretty much exactly what it is, but it does function very very well. Uh, it it does the job very well. So I, someone told me, uh, and I've not experienced this myself, but the the Gem One Ionic kind of bounces between the lines. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it, 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 if you 
use lane keep assist on the Ionic. It, it, it doesn't keep it entirely central. There, you may get some comments on this podcast saying, uh, no, that's not true at all. But that's just what someone told me. Uh, the MG does a very, very good job of keeping it in between the lines in a, in a consistent position. Uh, also, the, uh, the distance from the car in front, it, it, it's, it's quite smooth, unless the, unless the person in front is braking very, very hard, in which case it can, it can brake uncomfortably hard. If it's just normal adjustments in speed on a motorway, it's very, very smooth. Uh, and does that work through the onboard cameras, or is there lidar, or how does it work out the, you know, where the white lines are? Um, it does white line detection using the the camera, and it's the same camera which is used for for a whole bunch of different functions. So it's used for the uh, auto headlights. Uh, it's used for white line detection. It's used for um, pedestrian emergency braking it's used mm-hmm. to things like that uh the lidar i believe is is it does have a lidar but it that's used for uh distance just for the um adaptive cruise what's the uh the sat nav like is that uh sort of an acceptable one or is it a bit clunky or what to be honest, I've barely used it uh, because <laughs> because of that, because of Android Auto, uh, we tend to always use Google as our yeah. as our mapping tool. Uh, I have used it occasionally, and graphically, it's very good. Um, it does seem to have uh, a good database of of charges. On the whole, it what I would say it is significantly significantly better. Than the Leaf one. So anyone who's experienced uh, the Leaf satnav, either Gen One or Gen Two, the MG satnav is significantly better. Uh, there are going to be other cars out there which have a better, more fully equipped satnav. Uh, it doesn't have live data, which um, you wouldn't really expect for the price. Um, but it, it's it's a very very usable satnav. Uh, I personally just prefer using. Uh, the ones which come with Android also. Yeah, pretty much the same. I'm uh, Apple CarPlay and I use Waze or Google Maps, depending on uh, what I'm specifically looking for. But uh, You know, I like Waze, but it's just a little bit too talkative. (laughs) It's a bit too chatty for me. I I like Google because it doesn't talk much. We've said on several episodes of the podcast that the charging infrastructure needs to be able to handle cars that can charge at higher speeds. The MG can allegedly charge at 76 kilowatts. Has Neil experienced that? Uh, well, one of the Instavolts I tried was a, a, a double double post 125, I think I think they're rated right. at. Um, and I got 50 there. Um, so the Ionities are rated at 150, and I we didn't see anything more than 50 on those uh some people have seen 70 but not for a long not for a prolonged period so so you might peak at 70 and then it will it will drift back down to 50 in fairly short order yeah i think the charge curve is um it's kind of, it's very stepped it doesn't stay at the high speeds for too long it just tend to step down fairly quickly i believe but then saying that within within half an hour you're easily back up to 80% anyway so if if you if you've done a, if you've done say 120 miles you've been in the car for for over 2 hours having a half hour break actually is is 
very, very welcome. We're also big fans on this podcast to finding out what people don't like about their cars. It would be nice if it consistently charged faster. Uh, that That is definitely true. Uh, although on our road trips, it really has not been a problem. Some of the, some of the software quirks, uh, Android Auto can be a bit finickety. I don't know if that's specifically an Android Auto thing or the way MG have implemented it. It, mm-hmm. it, it's, that's debatable but I did have tremendous trouble getting it to work with a, a Huawei phone uh, I'm using a Samsung now and it, it works a lot better but you still have to unplug it a couple of times for it to recognise it so that, that's something that, that could be improved Bongate, mm-hmm. uh, we haven't had the software update we're having that in, in a couple of weeks time uh, so R1 still bongs like a madman whenever you, uh, whenever you do anything but as I say, MG have fixed that one, but we just haven't had it applied yet. Is there much I would change? The, the, the charging socket flap is slightly awkward, but you get used to it very quickly. It could do with a light in the charging, mm-hmm. uh, behind the charging flap. That, that's one thing. All in all, it's a very comfortable car, and I'm very happy with it. Performance-wise, it, it, it's astonishingly good for the money. I also wanted to finish up by asking him, as I did with Andrew Till, did it live up to his expectations? Ah, expectations. Now, I came into MG ownership with moderately low expectations, uh, partly because of its price point, partly because it was a it was a, a known quantity as being a a cheap car. I wasn't expecting great things. But I've been very, very pleasantly surprised. It, it is far better built than it deserves to be for the price. Um, and doing a direct comparison, actually, between the e-Nero and the MG, there are, there are obviously some technical advan- advantages that the Nero has over, over the MG from a software point of view. Uh, but just talking about fit and finish and comfort inside the cabin, I think the MG is absolutely on par with the e-Nero for comfort and build quality. The difference in price between the MG and the e-Nero is greater, I think, than the price differential in the battery capacity. So you do get more value for money with the MG than you do with the E-Nero. And I love the E-Nero. I think it's a great car. It, it mm-hmm. is it is, it is, a little bit faster than the MG. It's more efficient than the MG. Uh, it has a bigger battery than the MG, and it does have better software than the MG. Yeah. But when you look at the price differential, that's a big price differential for not an enormous amount of benefit. So I think as, a, as an overall package, the MG would be my choice. Is there anything that you would have done differently in terms of the MG? I might not have gone for a black one. Uh, They've got to keep clean, aren't they? (laughs) Yes. uh, My brother-in-law has just bought a white one, actually. Um, uh, Obviously, James Coates uh, has a white one. Uh, He loves white cars. And I think it does look very, very nice and white. Uh, the red is very nice as well. I've never been a massive fan of the Pimlico blue, but there's a lot of people who really like that as well. Black, when it's clean, looks absolutely phenomenally good. 
but it doesn't stay clean for long. The popularity of the MGZ SEV can be judged by the fact that at the last EV meet I attended prior to lockdown, which is the Southwest EV Owners Club meeting in Portishead, we had five MGZ SEVs turn up from all over the south and southwest of England, one of which was Neil's. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with you listeners. Researchers have found a way that could potentially increase the efficiency of solar panels by 125%. They use a method known as light trapping. This basically means using thinner cells and allowing the material to absorb some of the light in a different way. And the impact of this can be quite startling. It means, as the linked article below states, they could deploy 10 times more solar power with the same amount of absorber material. 10 times thinner solar cells could enable a rapid expansion of photovoltaics, increase solar electricity production, and greatly reduce the carbon footprint. In fact, as refining the silicon raw material is such an energy-intensive process, 10 times thinner silicon cells would not only reduce the need for refineries, but also cost less. Cheaper, thinner, more efficient, and more eco-friendly solar panels? Count me in. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. Thanks to Neil Roberts for talking with us about his MGZ SAV. The full interview will be available on the EV Musings Redux podcast in a day or two. If you want to contact me, please use the EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV, or I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter and the EV Musings Redux podcast and the transcriptions and everything else that we do, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings Patreon. The link is in the show notes. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So, You've Got Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. At the moment, it's free on Kindle Unlimited or if you're in the Kindle Lending Library. Please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, he doesn't wear a wristwatch. He has to get his timekeeping from somewhere else. He used to use the speaking clock, but he changed to using Google instead. And, you know, I asked him, what's the problem with the speaking clock? He told me, it's a bit too chatty for me. I like, I like Google because it doesn't talk much. Thanks for listening. Bye.